you haven't figured it out yet, we, we themed our Easter weekend around the lion and the lamb. I talked about on Friday how Jesus is called the Lamb of God because he was willing to sacrifice himself once and for all on our behalf. But he was also called the Lion of Judah. It's based on this verse in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. John wrote this, he says, Do not weep. See the Lion of Judah, the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. As I, we began pre preparing for this service and Easter Sunday, you know, we focused on the lion and I was like, yeah, the, the lion, yeah, the lion roars, the lion triumphs. Jesus went to the cross of lamb and resurrected a lion and all of that. But then it suddenly caught me. I was like, why, why the lion of, of Judah? Why Judah? Why not the Lion of Joseph, the Lion of David? Why, why, why Judah? So I began like researching and looking and rereading the story of Judah. Judah, of course, was one of Jacob's sons. Jacob, who God renamed Israel, had 12 sons. Judah's one of those 12. Israel became, you know, the namesake for the nation of Israel, the tribes. The tribes, of course, were named after, you know, Jacob's sons, Judah being one of those. But Judah of Jacob's sons was not exactly the most integrous. He certainly wasn't perfection. And I was like, and God chose, Jesus chose to, to be named after Judah? Judah. I mean, it was Judah, look at this in Genesis 37. It was Judah who suggested that his brothers sell Joseph as a slave. Joseph, of course, one of Jacob's sons, was Jacob's favorite. He was the firstborn of Jacob's favorite wife. You thought the Bible was not entertaining. It's, <laughs> it's got some stories. Yes, Jacob had a favorite wife, and her firstborn was his favorite son, and he spoiled Joseph and all the rest of the, the sons, the, the older ten, you know, the older sons, uh, they resented Joseph because he was the favorite. And so they decided to come up with this scheme, and it was Judah who spoke up. Look, Genesis 37 says, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother? They had talked about, well, let's just kill him and then tell our dad that he was eaten by a lion. And then Judah sounds so righteous and so right. He's defending Joseph. He's like, no, no, no. We're not going to get any profit out of this. We're not going to make any. If we just kill him, we don't get anything out of it. He's like, so why don't we, let's, let's sell him so we can at least make some profit out of this and not, and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. Sounds Good, right? <laughs> Our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. They sell Joseph. The Ishmaelites take Joseph to Egypt. Joseph ends up a slave in Egypt. And in Genesis 37, it goes on. And, and for the next you know, seven, eight chapters, it's the story of Joseph. 
movies and plays have been made out of Joseph. Joseph is, is remarkable, integrous, an amazing guy, sold as a slave, wrongly accused and, of adultery and, and thrown into prison, but given a dream that is interpreted and, and given to Pharaoh. And because of that, he goes from prison to a prime minister in one day. So why didn't God, why didn't Jesus say, well, I'm the lion of Joseph. Joseph was amazing. And in the middle of Joseph's story, the writer of Genesis interrupts Joseph's story with, with this little tidbit about Judah. It says this in Genesis 38, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law. He went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I am thankful that the Bible doesn't hide imperfections because that gives us hope, doesn't it? But Judah, come on. Judah sells his brother, sleeps with his daughter-in-law, but it's okay because he thought she was a prostitute. Wait. Wait. What? And it's interesting, the writer of Genesis throws this right in the middle of Joseph's story. And then Genesis 39 tells the story of Joseph having the opportunity to commit adultery with his, his, like his slaver, his wife. She tries to seduce him. We see the integrity of Joseph contrasted by the imperfections and indiscretions of Judah. So again, why Judah? This is not exactly someone whose namesake Jesus should take on. I mean, this guy's a mess. Well, the story of Joseph goes on and he ends up in Egypt, in prison, interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh promotes him to prime minister, from prison to prime minister in one day. And he's put in charge of, because of his dream, he's put in charge of all the reserves of Egypt. And for seven years, Egypt prospers and Joseph storehouses and, and, and you, know, re, you know, basically saves a, a number of, of extra, you know, a lot of the extra into the place where the drought that is widespread throughout the land, that Egypt becomes the storehouse of which all the nations come to. In fact, this, if, if you study history, this is what made Egypt the most powerful nation in the world. This made Pharaoh immensely rich because all of the nations were now dependent, fully dependent on Egypt because of Joseph's dream. Because of that, Egypt becomes the powerful nation that would later enslave Israel and all of these things. It's, a, it's an amazing, intricate story. But in the middle of all that, one of the nations or one of the peoples that is reliant on, on food for, from Egypt happens to be Jacob and his sons. And so Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to ask the prime minister, whom they didn't know was their brother, to ask the prime minister if they could buy and purchase grain and food 
from him. And when they show up in front of Joseph, Joseph, of course, recognizes them right away. But they don't recognize Joseph. And Joseph has a decision to make. This is the prime opportunity to exact revenge. And Joseph is still integrous, <laughs> merciful. But Joseph is also very cunning. So Joseph notices among the, the brothers that one is missing. His younger brother, not half brother, full brother, Benjamin, is not there. So he sends the other 10 brothers away, says, go back to your father. But when you come back, bring your youngest brother with you. So the boys go back to, to Jacob and they report everything they had. And eventually they run out of reserves and food again and they have to go back. And this time when they go back, they say to their father, we can't go back without Benjamin. <laughs> and Jacob's like, I've lost one favorite son. Now you're asking me to risk my other, which I'm sure the boys liked. And Reuben, he has this harebrained idea. And I didn't realize how harebrained it was until I became a grandfather. And I went like, hey, stupid, this is dumb. Like he says, hey, hey, dad, I will guarantee, you know, uh, you know, Benjamin's safety. And if I don't bring him back alive, you can kill my two sons. And Jacob's like, hey, dummy, <laughs> I like being a grandpa. Like, I'm not going to kill my grandkids. Like, this, I'm not going to lose three. Like, hello. This is not very smart. So they, they, they can't figure out what to do until Judah steps up. And Judah, remarkable, uncharacteristic, Judah steps up and says this in Genesis 43, says, then... Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that me, that we and you and our children may live and not die. Didn't want to starve. And then he says, I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will bear the blame before you all of my life. Reuben had a terrible idea. Jacob obviously rejected. Judah's idea is honorable. I will be the guarantee. I will bear the blame for him. Jacob agrees and they go off to face Joseph. And they get to Joseph and this is, this is Joseph's brilliance. Joseph, remember, was the favorite and the boys were jealous of this, and they sold him into slavery. So Joseph decides to test the brothers to see if, if they've changed at all. And this is what he does. When Benjamin shows up and all the brothers, he invites them all to a feast. And then he says, he gives Benjamin five times the amount of food he gives to the rest of them. Then he gives a bunch of gifts to Benjamin, but not to the rest of them. In other words, he's setting up Benjamin to be the favorite again and saying, why is he getting favored? And he wants to see the reaction. And then when he sends them away, you know, he sends them away and says, oh, you know, you know, we, you guys can go and he blesses them. He tricks them a little bit. He asks some of his servants to put two silver chalices 
and sneak them into Benjamin's bags and, you know, bury them under there and then sends them away. And then he chases the armies after these guys and says, two silver chalices have been stolen and it's in your midst. And they all go, no, 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 it hasn't. No, there's no way we didn't steal anything. They're all afraid because they know their lives are on the line. And so they search all the, the bags and they end up discovering the two silver chalices in Benjamin's bags. And I wonder how Judah felt all of a sudden, because now Benjamin is guilty. And no, there's not going to be a fair trial. There's no, he's, he's, they can't figure out. And what's interesting, what's interesting is it says this of the two chalices in Genesis 44. It says, isn't this cup my master drinks from, Joseph, and also uses for divination? Divination, by the way, this is what the Egyptians would do. Divination, they would use silver chalices in order to see or to, you know, to, you know, do divination and what what ends up happening you know prophecies or psych you know psychic things were based on this joseph sets up benjamin with cups of divination saying see he's not only favored but he's a dreamer too and joseph sets this up for the boys to test whether or not they were going to betray benjamin like they betrayed him And all the boys come back and Judah goes into an epic speech, the culmination of the book of Genesis. And in the midst of the speech, this is what Judah says. He says, your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. He's saying this to Joseph. And I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all of my life. Now then, Please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. This is the same Judah that sold Joseph is now saying, I will be the guarantee. I will be the slave. I will stand in his stead. I will stand in his place. And that speech so moved Joseph. The Bible says that Joseph ran out of the room and wept so loudly that all of the palace could hear him. And then he comes back into the room. Chapter 45, verse 1, he says this, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And I, I don't know, I, I, this part of the story always chokes me up a little bit because can you imagine what was going through Joseph's mind? Here are his brothers bowing before him like he had dreamed years ago. And you have to remember that years ago, he probably had a different vision of how he was going to get to that place. Probably different than being a slave, being a prisoner. And here it's happening before his very eyes and he cries out and he's, he's seeing, my God, look, he sees how God's hand has been on him the entire time, how this moment has culminated into this. And can you imagine the feeling of saying, it is, hi, Joseph, it's me. And can you imagine the terror that ran through the brothers when they went, oh, because he has all the power 
to snap his fingers and off their heads. I mean, he, could, he has all the power. He's the second in charge in the entire nation of Egypt, the most powerful, wealthy nation on the planet at that time. But Joseph doesn't. And Joseph revealed himself to his brother because, because the boys, in particular Judah, passed the test. Judah stepped forward to offer himself in Benjamin's place and passed the test, given the chance to dispense with Benjamin as they did with Joseph. And it was Judah who offered himself as the substitute. And then when Jacob was dying, Genesis 49, he blesses you know, the brothers as, as was tradition and all the sons, all the sons. And this is what he says. And this is what he prophesies over Judah. He says this, speaking on behalf of God, he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of all the nations shall be his. And I, you got to wonder, Judah, the one who sold Joseph, Judah, the one who slept with his daughter-in-law because he thought she was a prostitute, Judah, God, you're going to prophesy that the kings, all of the kings of Israel are going to descend from Judah, not Joseph, Judah, including the king of kings. Listen, this is the legacy of Judah, not his past. Someone's got to be thankful for that. Come on. That God doesn't hold our past against us. Come on. Not Judah exploiting others, but sacrificing for them. Not pushing others down, but lifting them up. Not using power to hurt others, but instead to help. God saw Judah's willingness to sacrifice for his brother and decided to stake his name on that. God looked at Judah and says, that's the legacy. That's what I'm going to stake my name on. That Judah, an imperfect human being, was willing to be the substitute for his brother. And he says, on that, that kind of love covers a multitude of sins. That kind of love is exactly the example of what Jesus is going to do for all of us. That while jo well, Judah was willing to be the substitute for Benjamin, Jesus became the substitute for you yes. and for me. That it wasn't just enough that he went as the lamb and to sacrifice, but it's, a, it's something where it, it, Jesus is saying this, that he resurrected as the lion of the tribe of Judah, Revelation 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Jesus and God would stake his name on that kind of love. And that to me is what we're celebrating today. That's exactly what we're celebrating, that we we have a substitute, that we it, we deserve to be enslaved. 
And yet he says, no, no, I'll take your, I'll take your place. Thank God. There's only one king, only one man who is the perfect embodiment of Judah's legacy. And the reason we have hope despite our glaring flaws, come on, is because Jesus came and offered himself as the guarantee of safety for us. And then Jesus would say this, and this is today's takeaway. Jesus would say this, that greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus embodied that, and Judah was willing to, and Jesus said, on that kind of love, I'm going to stake my name. Come on. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for your willingness to come in our place, to sacrifice yourself on our behalf. We are so incredibly grateful, thankful, and we know we don't deserve it, yet you came anyway. Yes, when you were on that cross, you had us on your mind. Thank you. Now we invite you, Jesus, to be the center of it all. In our lives, in our hearts, in our thoughts. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning, you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe because thought, well, Christianity's just a religion. Like every other religion, it's, and religions are simply a system of beliefs, a system that means that we have to be good enough to earn whatever God we serve acceptance. But the truth is, we don't have to be good enough. He's good enough. And the truth is, we don't deserve it. He became our guarantee. The truth is, it's too good to be true, but it's true anyways. That we became the righteousness of Him in Christ Jesus. And that all we have to do, we don't have to be good enough. We don't have to <laughs> repent of all of our past, you know, to such a degree where before He can accept us, all we need to do, according to Paul, the book of Romans, is all we have to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is God and believe in our heart that what we're celebrating today the resurrection happened and because it happened it makes him God that it's not just a fairy tale it's not just a, like it changed the world and as you heard Aaron say it changed our eternities forever and all we need to do is confess with the mouth and we're going to do that right now I'm going to lead us all in a prayer if you've never prayed this prayer before I encourage you to pray with all your heart and all your meaning if you believe that today's we're celebrating today the resurrection happened. Then you can begin a relationship with Him. So let's praise together. If you're watching online, pray with me wherever you're watching from. Let's praise together. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God, and I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you right now to become my God 
Lord, my Savior, my friend. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins and for accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you in Jesus' name. ask everyone to close their eyes and bow your heads out of respect to the people around you. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, we have a gift we'd love to give you at the end of the service. It's a Bible. It's our free gift to you that explains what this relationship's all about. So if everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, if you prayed this prayer for the first time, you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, would you just boldly raise up your hand, give me a wave and say, yeah, pastor, I prayed this prayer for the first time. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus today. Thank you. If you prayed this prayer the first time and you're watching online, just click the I have decided button um, in you know, the comments below and our team will reach out to you and give you a Bible as well. Isn't God good?